welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rain. The living dead. The cursed city. Where the gates of hell it is, it gives the dead the appearance of life. Oh, it is not the appearance of life, it is life. This is not magic, as you say. I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. <laughs> Get me back my head! Get me back my head! Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood, as we continue our month of Hellfire. Here on the Retro Blood, we have escaped the Cenobite's lair, we have gone out of Dunwich, and we have entered one, just one, of the seven gates of deadly hell with the cross-like structure. Yes, because we have now entered the beyond. James Klein, J.A. Allison, what's happening, everybody? We are back for some more Italian eye poke, slimy death of goom here on the Retro Blood. What's happening, Allison? What's going down? Hey, what's what's up, man? It's good to be back. I'm talking about the about cool horror this week. So, so last week's mo- movie, this week's movie, next week's movie are all ones that I made you watch. So we're gonna see how how your action was to those. So I gotta say. So, did you at least like this movie better than last week's movie? Uh, that would be yes on the on the okay. uh, on the rating scale. I actually yeah. like this, this movie. This movie actually had a lot of cool uh, parts to it. Uh, there's a couple things I'll be uh, nitpicking on here <laughs> uh, when it comes oh, to yeah. certain things oh, yeah. that the uh, the Ita- the Italian horror films like to do. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to that style structure, I thought this movie was really well placed. Um, I thought the storyline was pretty interesting. And um, I thought, you know, of course, they always do good with their effects. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, if you like, like, decomposing, slimy, oatmeal, raisin, uh, uh, blood mixture with strawberry jam, this is the movie for you. Because, boy, they had all kinds of melting shit on this on this movie. <laughs> yeah, this, this movie is a goddamn masterpiece, in my opinion. But, like, yeah, like, talking about the slimy melting nastiness like I, I was watching this movie and like you know we're all busy people we're all pressed for time in our in our lives and i I'd, i i had made some um uh honey garlic chicken that has soy sauce in it and like i'd cooked that in the oven and i was like trying to watch this and eat that and i thought i was gonna fucking throw up like it was <laughs> yeah it was there's some nastiness in this movie it, it's definitely like it brings the gore scale up a little bit from uh from city of the living dead but so, City of Living Dead, we got no eye gouging, but this time they made up for it. I think you got three eye gouges in this. Yes, and I wrote them all down. <laughs> like you could literally do like a drinking game, almost of how many eye gouging you can have in some of these films. It's great. In Italian movies, yeah, there's there. It's not an Italian movie. If somebody doesn't get their eye gouged out for the most part. Exactly, but we'll be talking all about the Beyond scene by scene here pretty soon on the Retro Blood. But 
let's get the, uh, the let's get the history segment going because every episode of the Retro Blood, we like to see what's happening around the release date of this particular movie. Most of the time, we do the U.S. release date. Every once in a while, we might do like the foreign release date. But you know, for this show purpose, since we are an American podcast. We'll be doing mostly the American dates of when this movie was released. But this one was kind of weird. We have a couple yeah. of, like, you know, the, the I, we talked about this last time, too. Like, you know, a couple of these Italian films, it's kind of, it's, we would get the version of them released here in America, but they'd be, like, totally either edited down, different, changed the name, all kinds of stuff. So, this, this release date we're going to be talking about is going to be March 3rd, 1983. And we'll be talking what's happening around the pro wrestling and some of the music. Preferably metal music, but we don't have too much metal music going on for this month. For this mm. month and this release date, but we'll talk a little bit about it. But let's get into the uh, the pro wrestling that was going on around this particular time. So, there's not a whole lot. <laughs> this is a whole not lot going on around March. I guess March is kind of... The, which is weird because, you know, nowadays... A March would be either we're heading into WrestleMania or we just got done with WrestleMania. Or or like it's kind of like the build towards WrestleMania cuz I think WrestleMania is in April now, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's at the 1st of April. So this would be the the build to WrestleMania, but yeah. at this point in history there is no WrestleMania. Yeah. What's WrestleMania? Yeah, yeah, exactly. we don't even know what that is. So, you know, so this is around March 1st, 1983 and I found two two events um, courtesy of the, uh, the the pro wrestling mag around this time. So, on this date in Memphis, Tennessee, in front of a massive crowd of four thousand five hundred seventy-three fans, <clears throat> as I burp over here, uh, <laughs> check this match out. So, this was mm-hmm. in the Mid South Coliseum, probably yep. for Mid South Wrestling. Absolutely, Bill Watts' territory, brother. Old school wrestling, old school mat wrestling. We have Bobby Eaton defeated Sweet Brown Sugar Cane, which was Coco Beware. Yeah, absolutely. And a loser leave town match to win the Mid American title. Um, so so he wins. So Bobby Eaton wins. So they're not mm-hmm. leaving Memphis yet to go to Crockett, although they would like a year or two later. Yes. Um, so Coco's leaving. Does that mean he is that when he went to WWF or not? That's that must have been too early for that, right? Boy, uh, I would say he he's either going to go to a different territory because so what they used to do. So yeah. before we had like like before you know before Vince McMahon Jr. pretty much took over the wrestling world. A lot of times we would have um, wrestlers. They would do a year in a territory, and then they would leave to go to a different territory and do a year over there to kind of freshen up. So just because Coco Beware over here or Sweet Brown Sugar, all right, left the mm-hmm. Mid South territory, he's probably maybe going to go to Florida. He might go to New York. He might for a year. He might go to uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling for a year. It right. doesn't. I tried to do some research, but it didn't tell me where exactly where he went. But I'm pretty sure it's just one of those things where, okay, we got you in for a year. We got you in for, you know, you, you, you're doing good, but you're maybe staling up a little bit. We need you to go somewhere for another year, get some more seasoning, and then you can come back. So that's pretty much how they rotated the wrestlers a lot. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because that's how it always was, right? They that was what the NWA was about. It was it was the agreement that they would not encroach on anybody else's territory, and in exchange for that, they would share champions, and they would have one world champion, which I think at the time was Ric Flair. Yes, there was um, Ric Flair. But um, they, uh, you know, and Ric Flair would go all over for a while. You know, he stayed mostly in, in North Carolina, but he would he would go all over for a while into different places. But, um, but yeah, so you'd basically have your guy in your territory and you would do everything you could do with him. And then you would just send him to Florida or some other territory and then basically do the same thing again, if it worked where they were, cause you could do the same stories cause nobody, I mean, the internet didn't exist. So you couldn't really find out what was happening in other territories for the most part, unless you read like a wrestling fan magazine or something which yes. i guess stuff like that existed but you know this is probably a little bit before the melter melter started his thing the wrestling observer no i think he's still doing it around this time okay but yeah you could subscribe to the to melter's report and then you could uh you could read what was happening in the territories but not everybody did that for sure yeah it's um, only like so, yeah, hardcore so that's kind of how wrestling worked right that's yeah, how right. wrestling kind of worked yeah, because basically what they would do is for for a wrestler like the Pro Wrestling Torch or the Pro Wrestling Magazine stuff like that, that would be where you would get your news. You know, it wouldn't be on like podcasts or radio shows and stuff like that. Like you said, like the internet, it would be all all about the magazines. So in the magazines, you would read about you know house show, like house shows or or like um, different like events that that weren't broadcast. You would read about the results that way, right. and then that yeah. way you could figure out, oh, okay, well this guy is going to here. And sometimes they, they might be under a new name, a new gimmick, you know, just like, you know, how sweet brown sugar wasn't sweet brown sugar in the WWF. He was Coco Beware. So, right. Yeah. Cause I can remember around this time being a little kid and seeing the wrestling magazines in, in the grocery store when I go there with my grandma and like, I can remember like seeing Kamala on the, a cover of a wrestling magazine. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Like that's just yep. cool. It just looks cool. And then like seeing Carrie Von Erich and not knowing who the Von Erichs were. Yeah. And because we couldn't see it on TV here. Yes. And it, you know, what's cool about that too. So, you know, wrestling magazines, I've been a big part of my fandom for a long time, especially when I was first starting out wrestling. So, you know, I, I might've told this before on here, but you know, for our new listeners, I'll tell it again. You know, I sure. didn't start watching pro wrestling until like 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I remember is seeing uh, Shawn Michaels super kick Stone Cold Steve Austin in the chin to build up to WrestleMania 14, and mm-hmm. I had my, my I had my um, I had my brother's friend is the one who told me about you know hey you gotta watch this and my brother told me to watch it and of course I got hooked on it pretty much I wouldn't say I got hooked on it right then but then right after WrestleMania 14 where Austin won the belt I got hooked on it. And, you know, during that particular time, too, even in 1998, you know, the Internet wasn't the most, like, accessible thing ever. You know what I mean? It still take forever to log in. It still take, you know, it takes forever to do things. So, you know, you would go on the Internet for certain things, but you wouldn't go on it like how we do nowadays, like in a drop of a, a minute. So right. a lot of the stuff that I did research on my wrestling was by getting the magazines. You know, I got WWF Raw magazine. I got the WCW magazine when it was out. You know, I even sometimes I would get like the off-brand magazines as well too. Since I was a WWF fan, I mostly got the WWF magazine, and that's when I would read the articles about the wrestlers. You know, maybe get some more backstory on them. You know, but you know, during this particular era of the '80s, I mean, that's pretty much all you had if you're a big wrestling fan and you wanted to know more details 
about the actual wrestlers and what's going on in the industry is by buying a lot of these magazines. So they were definitely very helpful. And I, I definitely know that, you know, me and you rock in the 80s, we definitely have a fucking uh, a closet full of a bunch of wrestling oh, yeah. magazines. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I would have a I would have a whole stack full of like pro wrestling illustrated. Yes. Um, in fact, I'd love to have a collection of those now. Um, I mean, like from the eighties, that would be really cool if I could just collect a a set of those from the eighties. That'd be awesome. Yeah, because you get the cool pictures, everything. You get the articles. You know, you get the match results. You know, and you know, you know, during that time too, it's like you have like a cell a cell phone or a camera and stuff, so you can see what's happening in house shows. You would have to read about it, and your imagination would run wild. So. Definitely yeah. a, a good thing for these magazines to, uh, that were doing it. Um, so another thing in wrestling that happened two days later after the release of this movie and, you know, the, that uh, Mid-South Coliseum match, on March 3rd, 1983, NWA World Champion Ric Flair, speaking of him going everywhere, he wrestled in Auckland, New Zealand, and wow. he defeats Mark Lewin to retain the NWA title. And check this out. So there's a bra after the match, and Lewin leaves ringside with the belt. So, you know, this would happen every once in a while with Ric Flair. So Ric Flair would go to a territory, and he would wrestle their top star, but he wouldn't necessarily beat their top star. He would, like, basically go wrestle them, and he would make it seem like their top star is going to be winning the title, and then he would do something where he would, you know, get disqualified or cheat or do something like that. But they would always try to leave the crowd like, 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 hey, like, hey, our top star beat the man. You know what I mean? So your job has the NWA as basically Ric Flair's job almost has the NWA champion was to be like, you know, obviously the the pinnacle wrestler. But it was also to make their hometown guy as strong as possible so people can come back and start buying tickets for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, because I mean, that was like a territory thing, right? Like you yeah. don't you don't. You, you, I mean, your champion beats the territory guy, obviously. Yes. But you don't, you want to make him look strong so that when, because the territory guy, I mean, the traveling guy will be gone. And next week, your, your, your territory guy has to come back and be a champion again or be a star again. Yes. But I find it amazing, though, when you mentioned that, that in 1983, I mean, there's no internet. You know, we talked about this. In 1983, people in New Zealand knew who Ric Flair was. Well, you know, there's probably like some uh, television syndicate, you know, because probably, you know, during this time we had uh, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, we had the AWA, we had the WWF, you know, maybe somehow in New Zealand they maybe got some feed. Yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah. Because I know that Crockett recorded some matches specifically to air in Japan, so there must have been like a NWA wrestling show in Japan. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it's possible, and I mean, I mean, it's likely that you know they had some kind of show that they syndicated to uh, to to New Zealand. Uh, I just, I just find that amazing. I just, I just think that's amazing that somebody in New Zealand knew who Ric Flair was. Yeah, and he's like, he was like a hometown hero to us yeah. here, even though he's even though he's from Minnesota. Well, that happened a lot. Like I think it was um, WCCW. I, I think they had a very big international. Um, following and that's all the way like a texas promotion but apparently they were like huge overseas i think it actually was in japan or something like that they were actually huge over there so yeah there's ways to get it brother it's called tape trading <laughs> Ta- well that's true i mean there was tape trading even then i guess you know 
mean, that'd be the early days of tape trading for most people. Probably most people didn't have a VCR. I don't think in 1983 even. Yes. But maybe by then, maybe by that point, they were starting to get pretty common, but they were still pretty expensive. So also on this date of March 3rd, 1983, we have two other matches happening at the same time in two other promotions. So in the WWF, we have champion Bob Backlund in a rare champion versus champion match. He defeated WF Intercontinental Champion Don Morocco and Monica P.A. Hmm. So that'd be a very interesting match. Yeah, that would have that would have been a good match, actually. I think Morocco versus Bachwinkle. Yeah, and you know this is this is still strongman Bob Win- uh, Bachwinkle. I guess he's not crazy Bachwinkle yet. No, Backlund. Um, no, uh, sorry, uh, Backlund. Yes, so hmm. he's uh, he's um, not crazy Backlund yet. He's the American boy right. Backlund. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's the the. Athlete, I never liked. Man. I yeah. never liked the um, all American Bob Backlund baby faced guy. I don't know. He just never really did it for me. You know, I was all about the crazy Bob Backlund, the, the wacko yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the one I know because I didn't, before I came back to wrestling in 1998, which I think I came back almost the same year you started watching wrestling. It's just weird. Yeah. Um, so when I came back to wrestling, Bob Backlund, I didn't know who Bob Backlund was because he was somebody that I never saw on my wrestling TV in the 80s. Yeah. So I didn't know who he was. So I only knew uh crazy bob Backlund, and i think wasn't he in congress or something at that time yeah yeah he was like yeah or like he was in in that or if he was like um trying to be in politics like running for like a president or something like that so something wacky. <laughs> i don't think he's running for president but he i think he was in congress like i think he was he had run and and won a house seat or something for wherever he's from yeah um, and so he was like a politician that would occasionally appear on WWF television in the attitude era and just be uh, crazy Bob Backlund. But uh, the other thing I know about Bob Backlund is that my other Bob Backlund story is that he was one of the only people that could beat the iron Sheik and the, uh, I- Iranian club thing. Have you ever seen oh, that? Oh yeah. 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 With the, cl- yeah. With the club. Yeah, yeah. With the big, yeah. With the big clubs. And he was one of the only people that could do it. Yeah. So they would have him and the iron Sheik do these, you'd have to see this it's really hard to describe what this is but they're like kind of juggling these clubs sort of and they're i guess really heavy i'll see if i can find Um, some video and post it on the facebook page the retro blood facebook page everybody join it up for extra shit yeah Yeah, join the facebook page you got to see this iron iranian club thing hope i can find it they call it something (laughs) but we can find one i'm sure so this this would be out of the three matches that we're talking about for this particular day i think i don't want to see this one the most because I always think it's a very interesting style match. So in the AWA, at this particular point of history, we have the world champion, one of my favorite world champions, Nick Bockwinkle. Oh, we do have Bockwinkle. Yes, we do have the Bockwinkle. He defeated, of all people, Hulk Hogan by disqualification all the way mm-hmm. in Winnipeg, Canada. Hmm. So... That would have been a, a fun match to watch. You know, Bachwingo, that guy, he can have a great match with anybody. And this is when, this is actually when probably where Hulk Hogan is getting a lot of steam from the AWA. Like he's getting, he's yeah. getting the Hulkamania stuff over. Like, cause he started Hulkamania in the AWA at first. Right. And this yeah. is when he was getting, starting to get huge. Yeah. He was still the incredible Hulk Hogan then, but he was a, he was a heel though. Right. At this point. Or part of the time in WWE, he was a heel, right? Yeah. You know, so, what, so basically, what happened was he 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 did a run in the WWF as a heel when he first was there. 
And oh, okay. th- that's when he would go and like you know face Andre the Giant, a bunch of big guys. He was like some sort of like heelish Hulk Hogan guy. Then he left okay. the WWF, they went to AWA, and then he was a heel there first. But then he slowly, af- I think it was right after the Rocky movie, that's when he started picking up some steam. Because, you know, he left the WWF because Vince McMahon, at the not junior, but senior, didn't allow Hulk Hogan. He didn't want Hulk Hogan to do the movie. He's like, yeah, no, you don't yeah, do, you don't do movies. That. You're a wrestler. And Hulk Hogan's like, no, I'm doing this fucking movie. And he's like, okay, if you do the movie, you can't wrestle my territory. And he's like, okay. So he left. And so <laughs> Which he is weird considering yeah. now, now, exactly. now wrestlers are movie stars. Yes. If you're not a movie star, you can't be a wrestler now. It doesn't matter how good you wrestle. <laughs> yes, it's crazy. So... Yeah, we'll talk about well. Basically, you know. So then, after that, when he did the Rocky Three movie, you know, he was a heel a little bit in the AWF first, but then he did the movie, and then obviously people saw him for the movie and are like, mm. "Well, fuck, you know, this guy's awesome." And then they started slowly, you know, organically cheering for the guy. So obviously, he was becoming a babyface. That's why he was getting really big, you know, because they're like, "Okay, well, we saw this guy not only in a very popular movie franchise, but now he wrestles for us too." I mean, you know what I mean? It, yeah, exactly. It's one of those things where. Probably during this particular time, that didn't really happen a lot, especially for big blockbusters. So they're like, okay, this guy's a big star. So it kind of really, definitely really helped him out. Yeah, and I believe this was the year that Rocky Three came out. I think it came out in 1983, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. 83, 82. Um, but yeah, so Bachwinkle, though, is somebody that um, I, always, I do get him confused with Bob Backlund. Not that I get him confused like as wrestlers, but I get their names confused. Like I often say Bob Bachwinkle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, um, Nick, Nick Bockwinkle is somebody that I've recently become interested in because to me before he, he just looked like an old timey wrestler, uh-huh. you know, before wrestling was interesting, like when it was just, you know, they were really keeping it kayfabe and they were like, you know, just doing wrestling moves and, and, and or the way I viewed it was that they were just doing wrestling moves and like nothing was like, you didn't have the over the top stuff that I love about wrestling. But you really did. Can I, and I watched a, a documentary, I believe, on YouTube about him, and it showed some of his matches from like the '60s and the '70s. And I mean, he was a he was great. I mean, he was really, really, really good. And it's somebody that I wish I'd discovered uh, before now. But now I'm looking, I'm looking at Bob, uh, Bob. Damn it, I did it again. Nick Bockwinkle matches, and um, um, and watching a lot of them because he he is very, very good. One of yes. the best. So, just to turn our back, so Rocky Three was released in oh, yes. uh, May 28th, 1982. So, oh, so it was the year before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know, Hulk Hogan played the world-famous Thunder Lips. Thunder Lips. The current world champion who fights Rocky in a charity event and whoops his ass. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely fun stuff here. But yeah, And you well, can really see – oh, sorry – Good. No, you good. Like you know what you know what you can. The, the thing you know the thing about the AWA time, like this is probably like its hottest period. You know, Nick Bockwinkle was always the biggest NWA champion or AWA champions. Excuse me. He was yeah. like probably like their pinnacle. He was basically like their Ric Flair. You know, he mm-hmm. had his his wrestling style was very technical. He dressed in suits all the time. He he had great promos. Um, his manager was Bobby Heenan for a lot of his run over there at the AWA. Um, he had great he had great matches with Kurt Henning as well too. They had a really good rivalry, and of course Hulk Hogan at this time, you know, this is when he was like we were saying he was kind of blowing up, being a big baby face. A lot of the merchandising stuff was starting to hit a lot with Hulk Hogan. You know, he would come out to music and stuff. So this is really like the 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 seeds of what we would see Vince McMahon Jr. bring Hulk Hogan to the mainstay. You know, so this is like the yeah. kind of like the beginning stages 
of the uh, the Hulkamania phenomenon. Um. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like you know, Vince Vince takes a lot of things. Like they they have over the years created some new things, like the Undertaker, for example, or the Rock, maybe. But they do, he's really good. He's always been really good at taking something that somebody else made made and making it huge. Yes. You know, I mean, Hogan would never have been what he was if he hadn't joined the WWF. But that character was already really kind of created by the time he got there. Pretty much. You know, he basically just took a lot of the, the top wrestlers from around the territories hodgepodge them all together and didn't really change a lot of their gimmicks he just amped them up a little mm. bit so exactly yeah compared to what they do nowadays where they totally fuck up everybody but yeah when they change yeah, w- yeah that is another story that we mm-hmm. complain about on a daily basis yes but um but yeah i mean a c- couple of good stuff going on in wrestling out of those matches i would definitely like to see the nick bachwinkle hulk hogan one. i think that one would be very fun oh for sure for sure so so let's get into some stuff that's happening around the music time, the metal music around this time. I didn't really find a whole lot. Mm. Um, I, I found one band that happened in January I kind of want to talk about, but maybe I'll save them for when we find a movie around January because they'd be kind of fun. So the only thing I found <laughs> was apparently Journey. Yes. Oh, God. Yes, Journey. The, <laughs> the white girl a drunken bar band. Uh <laughs> The karaoke, uh, the karaoke classics band, they yeah. were doing a live show in Tokyo, Japan during this particular time. You know, Journey is not my favorite band. They have a, they have a couple of good songs. You know what I mean? A couple of good '80s hits, but you know they're definitely not like metal or nothing. They're more like the uh, soft rock, I guess you would say. Yeah, hair band maybe. Like yeah, I guess maybe they're like a. They're kind of a weird like mixture. Like they're a little bit heavy. It's it's kind of like I would say Journey is like a. If you want to listen to hard music, but you don't want to really push the boundaries or do anything that might be edgy at all, then then Journey's your band. Yeah. If you need some nice work music to play, like if you have a work environment, Journey's your band. But you still wanted to hear guitar solos, then Journey's the band for you. Exactly. So, you know, maybe we'll play a... How about we play my favorite Journey track at the end of this show? You know, okay. they have some good songs. You know, and I'm saying all their songs are bad. They have some good ones. You know what I mean? It just, you know, this is not necessarily like the most, like, this is not my go-to band. But, you know, I could, you know, maybe at a party or something, you have a party mixtape or something like that, you might play a Journey one or two, you know, get some people singing along. But there's like, there, there, there's like, there's one song, like the uh, Don't Stop Believing. Oh, mm. I, got, I got heat with that song, brother. Like, every yeah. fucking bar plays that damn song. At least back in the day when I used to bar hop a ton, they were playing that well, song, like, every five minutes. As I say, they probably play it every, like, 30 minutes. But you know, they, it's just, like, I mean, like, God, how many times do you want to hear Don't Stop Believing? Like, I'm start, I'm, I'm going to, I'm about to stop believing <laughs> in this song. <laughs> you know, stop believing that <laughs> shit, brother. <laughs> but um, one thing about Journey that's kind of cool is like I know you're not as much of a death deathmatch aficionado as I might be, but um, the deathmatch king um, Matt Tremont he comes out to Journey actually. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so his his walkout music is uh, uh, that separate way song that one that goes that starts off like with the keyboards and yeah. it's got the little kind of heavy guitar. That's what he walks out to, which nice. is kind of cool. Yeah, that song is probably that's the one I'll be playing at the end because that's my favorite mm-hmm. one they do. I'm pretty sure it's a lot of people's favorite ones. 
you know, they did a cool thing on the Stranger Things using that song too. So that song is a, it's, a, it's probably, to me, that's probably their top song. So, but enough about this history. Not a whole lot happening around this particular month of metal and pro wrestling, which is fine. But, you know, we have a lot to talk about when it comes to this particular movie. So oh, let's talk yeah. a little bit about The Beyond. So this movie mm-hmm. actually had like a couple of like different titles to it. So didn't you say that one of the titles was like Seven uh, Gates of Hell or something like that? Yeah, the American version. So it, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this too, but it was heavily edited for the American version because, I mean, as we'll talk about, this movie's fucking gory. But um, it was heavily edited. It was released as The Seven Doors of Death because the American distributor um didn't really understand why it was called the beyond and also apparently neither did Fulci. um but it was um but he called it the seven doors of death because that fits the concept of the movie a little bit better because they do talk about the seven doors of hell and that kind of thing um and it was heavily edited it was released here in 1983 but we couldn't really watch it unedited until 1998 when quentin tarantino brought it here yeah, so basically, you know, a lot of the the stuff around so the, the 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 movie was filmed on location in or around New Orleans, mostly, and in, in, in late 1980, with uh, assistance from the Louisiana Film Commission, and then a vi- uh, additional photography took place at uh, Di Paolo Studios in Rome. So they they did yeah. the they did a lot of like post production. It seemed like in Rome a lot because I think they did that for yeah. the last movie we did too. So this, well, yeah, go, we'll go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, because it's cheaper, right? I mean, because yeah. it costs money to keep people on location. And if you can shoot scenes indoors, um, you know, or shoot other scenes in Italy, then, you know, you, you would, you, you know, you do that to save money. But um, the uh, um, one funny thing about this is they used a, um, some of the scenes with uh, Dickie, the dog, were also shot in Rome and they had, they didn't use the same dog. So they had, so mm-hmm. the German shepherds in it are clearly different. If you look in different scenes, it's definitely not the same dog yeah. in some scenes. So this movie is also, it was re, uh, released in Italy during the spring of 1981. And like we were saying, the beyond did not see a North American release until late 1983, um, which is around March 3rd, 1983 from Aquarius mm-hmm. uh, releasing who released mm-hmm. an alternate version of the film titled Seven Doors of Death. That was the uh, that was our famous title that we got. So apparently this version featured an entirely different musical score and ran several minutes shorter than Fauci's original cut, which was branded a video nasty upon its release in the United Kingdom. Yep. The original version of the film, like Allison was saying, didn't see United you know, didn't hit United States released until September 1998 through a distribution partnership between Rolling Thunder Picture, Grindhouse Releasing, and Allison's favorite, Cowboy Booking International. Yes. Yes. My absolute favorite. So the, mo- so the one that we watched... Rolling Thunder. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. The Very one good. we watched was Grindhouse Releasing. Now, is that like the... Is Grindhouse Releasing... Is that like the um, Quentin Tarantino? No, Rolling Thunder is Quentin Tarantino. Oh, his is the Rolling Thunder? And... Okay. Yeah, and around Grindhouse was a company that was, I think, formed around this time. I want to say that the Beyond was one of the first releases they put out because um, they wanted to. They were formed, I believe, to um, to release some of these like Grindhouse horror films, um, and they had partnered with Tarantino 
to get some of these movies because it's hard to get the rights to the well it's not hard but it costs money to get the rights to these movies and i think tarantino had the money after you know he had that pulp fiction money at this point so he had the money to be able to buy the rights to these movies and then um then grindhouse would put a lot of them out and um it's i think it's amazing that they've kept the rights to this movie this entire time like you can still buy the beyond on blu-ray and 4k blu-ray now from uh from grindhousereleasing.com, um, which you should, because you should uh, support physical media. And it also comes with a soundtrack, which is amazing. But I'm, I'm getting off coffee now. But yes, yeah, so Rolling mm-hmm. Thunder and um, Grindhouse went in together to bring this to the United States for the first time. And I remember when this happened, and that was super exciting that we would actually get to see this unedited for the first time. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I didn't really hear about this movie until you brought it up and stuff, but... Um... I could definitely see like an, an edited version not being as uh, good as the one that we probably watched. So, but you know, this follows the trilogy of the the movies we've been doing. Um, you know, the shows like the more that the the opening of the gates and the the hopelessness when you open the gates of hell and what can happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely definitely pretty fun. But uh, I say, uh, let's get into it. Let's get into the full review. Let's of do it. The beyond. Ah, smooth, so good. You are Liza, aren't you? Yes. My name is Emily. I've been looking for you. where you came from and hurry leave this place sixty years ago everybody in this hotel disappeared every last person called Spike, who lived here, closeted in his room, had found a key. Tell me, with all those accidents, you think you'll um, give it up now? I couldn't do that if I wanted to. Well, I won't give in. Nobody here. I can feel a presence. Somebody else is in here. Oh, some weird story that Emily told me about room 36. Emily? Who's Emily? The blind girl. 
that lives in the old house by the crossroads. seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world. All right, so we open up. We see, well, first we see the Grindhouse gimmick, which I always, every time I see Grindhouse and stuff, I'm like, okay, you know, this is going to be pretty good. And it Mm -hmm. always kind of reminds me of that double feature that they did with, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino's double death proof and stuff like that, but... Oh, of that, course. That's here, that's here and over there. But we have a grindhouse release. Uh, we see a sign that says hotel. We are in Louis- Louisiana, nineteen twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. Everyone, okay. We have tr- we are, we have deep into the twenties, nineteen twenties. So we see a bunch of town folks coming on boats, and I actually thought this scene was really cool because of the music in the background. It has like this um. This layer of like, like doom is happening, like you know it has like a like a real long beat. Um, it's I can't really explain it too much, but this for some reason, this scene reminded me. <laughs> this is gonna be totally random to everybody. Wow, this scene reminded me. Just the music part reminded me of the opening to season two of the Ramoni Kenshin anime, when uh, the uh, Shinshingumi were gonna be uh, slicing down. Some people at the uh, at the um, at this imperial uh, bar. So wow, uh, I don't know why. Random. Yes, it is very random. But the, the actual score of it reminded me of it. It's kind of like this long, drawn out like beat. And I thought that was really neat. I actually like it when movies do that. It makes it seem like it's more dangerous. It's kind of like a like a danger is happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is another Fabio Fritti score. Um, you know, who's just this score is even better than the score from the last movie, which yes. I also love. But. Um, you know, it has that slow, like, um, um, like the, yeah, like that slow, like doomy beat, which is what makes doom metal so cool too, right? There's this impending like doom that you just feel yeah. like is about to descend on everybody. Yeah, and you can hear they, uh, the background. You can hear like the lake. You can hear like the flames that they have on their torches and stuff, and it shows like their faces. Like it just it had that was I actually this is probably what, one of my favorite scenes of just that starting in us out. Um, yeah, th- I was. Go ahead. I was gonna say. I also think it's. I was also uh, remarkably struck by how well they're all dressed, considering what they're going to do. Yes, you know, we got. You got to get yourself I mean? all pampered up if you're going to cause some <laughs> right. mayhem. Right, <laughs> they're all wearing like suits to go lynch somebody. Yes. They're like, yeah, listen, so, listen. You know. We did this already a couple years ago when we <laughs> killed Frankenstein. Now we got to kill this fucking <laughs> warlock dude. Okay, so make sure everybody's dressed up proper this time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Make, make sure everybody's dressed nice in case <laughs> we have when we take pictures afterwards. Yes. So now we see a lady. She's walking through. This is another cool scene too. So this scene reminds me of okay, we are we're giving praise to the old horror movies of the past of the how it's shot and how it's um, directed in this particular scene. 
seeing old, seeing like a lady walking through a house. Now a lot of light, a lot of lightning is happening. It's weird because it wasn't lightning outside, but apparently in her room it's the only room that has lightning in it. Okay. Yes. So, <laughs> so lightning's <laughs> up and everything, <clears throat> and she finds the book of Ebon. Ebon. Now. What is is Ebon a, a, a real book or is it like a translation for something? No, I think that is a I think that is a definitely a fake book, if you will. But I think that uh, it's supposed to sound like something from H.P. Lovecraft because that those words look like H.P. like a word H.P. Lovecraft would come up with. If if it, it may be a Lovecraft term, but last movie we had the book of Enoch. Yes. Which is actually real. I, I don't know if what they're talking about is real, but I'm pretty sure that the book of Enoch is a lost uh, book of the Bible. Like, it's one of those, um, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know what the word, there's a word for it. But, like, there's certain books that were considered not canon books to the Bible when the Bible was compiled the way it is today. In the Middle Ages or whatever. Yeah, so ba- I looked book it of up. Enoch is one of those <laughs> books, and it's not in the Bible anymore. Right. So it could have some, yeah. So Book of Ebon is a HPF Lovecraft um, gimmick, but apparently oh, it's no, also okay. an anime. To its Ebon is is one of the great old ones who exist, or whose existence precedes over knowledge. He was part of the eight Reaper legions. It was a former friend of death. Okay, so he's like one of. Uh... H.P. Lovecraft's old ones, like Cthulhu and like all the other ones that he uh, he yes. created for those stories. Yeah, and it's also you know they did take it a lot from the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft because um, you know like the person was saying like this book right here was passed down for four thousand years. Uh, you know, it's about tales of the seven gates of hell and where you could find these seven gates of hells and stuff at. at. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you know, like these movies in like Falochi does. Um, he probably takes a lot from like HP Love, HP Lovecraft and stuff. So. Yeah, especially during this era. Yes. So we also see a painter, and we found out this painter later on. We found out his name, Smythe. Every time I hear yeah. Smythe, yes. I think of that 1998 Spider-Man cartoon. That's whatever. exactly what I think of too. I think of this the guy, the Spider Slayer guy. Yeah. Yes. So we have another Smythe to talk about. He is painting. He's painting. My notes said he's painting creepily in his room. <laughs> While this is going down. And he's in room 36. Remember that? Remember that 36. All right. So It'll now we see. Now, yes. Now we have yeah, the demons. Yes. And now we see uh, more of the townspeople draw near. So we have some townspeople that came on boats. And then we have the ones that drove. I wonder how he got that job. They're like, all right, Fred, we need you to go on the boat. He's like, well, I want to just drive there. He's like, no, Fred, we need you to be on the boat. Okay. It's your assignment, Fred. Get on the yeah. boat. Come on now. So they all draw near. And this is when we get, you know, the uh, the Ebon book. Uh, you know, it's the this is where we get the backstory of it, the 4,000 years ago. Um, you know, this is uh, opens up the seven. Beware for opening up the gates of any gates of hell. Um, this is when we get the townspeople charge into the hotel, and this freaking um, clerk guy with his eyes was pretty funny. He was like, oh, shit, everybody's just coming right in quickly. <laughs> so they all go upstairs. They all go to room 36. They all break into the room. They all look at the painter guy, Smythe. And they're like, the main guy was like, 
You unholy warlock. So he's a warlock. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, so Smythe is a warlock. And the townsfolk people don't like warlocks and Frankenstein. So they, right. they fucking take the chain. They fucking beat him up with the chain. So this is when we get a couple uh, scenes of the, we get our gore pretty early on. Yeah, the, the chain, when they hit him in the face with a chain, it does an amazing amount of damage, I thought. Like, I'm pretty, I think that, I mean, it would probably, like, break your face. Like, you know, I mean, getting hit with a face with a chain would, would fuck you up, but I don't know if it would, like, cut through your head like it did with him. Well, but we got to have our gore, right? Yes. So, you know, in, in 1927, the chain, they were made a little better. <laughs> you know I mean, they had real steel back then. <laughs> they were They were sharper. Yeah, this ain't no fucking Home Depot shit. All right, this is the sharper ones, okay? Yes. They took okay. down Frankenstein. They took out the werewolf man. Now we're taking down Smythe. Yeah. All right? So this is also, too, when the girl's reading the book, which I'm pretty sure this girl, we find out her name is Emily because they look awfully alike. But she's reading the book saying, like, you know, this is the, this is, you know, beware of the seven deadly, there's basically there's seven gates of hell. And there's seven entry points to hell. And it says, you know, who does be careful when going near there because if you're not the right person to go near those seven gates, they'll open up and you'll pretty much be dead. And of course, during when we hear all this stuff, we see the townsfolk dragon smite the way. Smite's like, hey guys, I'm the only guy that can save everybody from this evil. Don't kill me. Mm-hmm. And of course, they don't listen. And they end up freaking uh, chaining him up some more, doing some Hellraiser chain on him. Uh, they nail him against the wall. Mm-hmm. And you cannot tell me that this is, was not oatmeal that they slapped on his face to have it melt right off. Because it, it can't it, be that hot because the guy fucking opened up the oatmeal with his bare hands. It's not like he wore any fucking glove. Okay? Yeah. He fucking poured it on his face. And then, of course, the guy's starts, face starts melting. And we, we hear our RPG Italian music. And yeah. then we see a cross-like structure. I called it the cross tail because it looked like a cross with a tail. Yeah, yep. and then and then we open we open up the film, which will uh, yeah the the cross tail will uh, figure into the movie later on, in some way. Yes, and then it's a, and then of course we get more warning saying if you don't oh don't go near the the gates of hell signing because evil uh, will, will invite it itself in and take over the world. Yes. So we get a bunch of fire and shit, and then we're back in Louisiana, but now it's 1981. All right. We meet uh, the main character that we're going to be talking about on this show. Um, It's going to be Liz, Mm -hmm. or Lizzie. Uh, Played by Katrina McCall again. She was in the last movie, remember? She was played the lead in the last movie. Yes, yes. So we got her back on here. Very good. I liked her better than this movie. It seemed like in the uh, the uh, city, um, the one we did last week, uh, City of the Living Dead, uh, she didn't really do as much as she did in this film. She was like in more scenes in, in this film. Yeah, I mean, this movie's just better in general, though. Yeah. So she basically got this hotel inherited, and she's talking to uh, um, Martin about, you know, hey, I got this hotel inherited. I need to, you know, get it all worked out. They're kind of working out some of the fine details of getting this place back up and running. Um, then they're talking to a painter. A, a, one of the painter guys sees some a dead girls in his eyes and stuff, and he falls to the ground. And then he keeps going. And then they, when they finally got him back inside and uh, you know, just trying to help him out, he's like, the eyes, her eyes, 
the eyes. Did I do them yeah, good? another thing I found amazing. Uh, that's perfect. Yes, that's exactly what he sounded like. You should be, you should be overdub these Italian movies. In oh, English. that'd be uh, my one of my goals <laughs> in life is to be one of these dub Italian. Guys. Be I'd just be so overacting. So I'd be more overacting than Arthur Arthur was. Yes, but one thing I found amazing about this scene was the just the constant blood that was pouring out of his mouth even after they brought him back inside. Yes. Like, it's just, like, I mean, the gore in this movie is just so gratuitous. Like, it's just like, let's have as much blood as possible. Yes. What's and, the blood and, budget and killing, look like? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the blood budget must have been insane. Like, half the budget went to making blood for this movie, I'm sure. But, yeah, he's just, like, spitting up blood out of his mouth constantly <laughs> while he's talking about the girl's eyes that he saw. Yes. Um. But, yeah, so then we call the doctor, right? Yes. So, <laughs> so Liz is like... Arthur, where's the doctor at? Arthur's like, he's like, Doc's arriving soon. Thanks, Arthur. Fucking God. So, uh, so the doc arrives. His name is Don- John. So we have Dr. John over here. He's the town, I guess he's the Louisiana small town doctor who goes to all the emergency calls. And... <laughs> And you know what his, uh, they call him all the way over here to check on his painter. Yeah. And you know what he says? He looks at him like, take him somewhere else. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck, this guy needs a hospital. Well, fuck, John. <laughs> Thanks for coming over. Like, I could have just brought him to the fucking hospital. Like, like, it's like <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. Like, they wait all day, or not all day, but they wait a while for the doctor to get there. And he's like, we got to get this man in the hospital. <laughs> like, you don't say. I mean, he's like vomiting blood out of his mouth. Yeah. What, what, what did she think? It, what, what did they all think? Like, I was okay. This guy's vomiting <laughs> blood. Oh, let's just call the doctor for like a checkup and see if we'd be okay. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can think of, if I have to like put some kind of like uh, explanation for this, is maybe they were afraid to move him. Yeah. But you would think. No, they though, moved that- him inside, didn't they? <laughs> They moved him inside, so why didn't they just put him in a car and drive him to the hospital? Because fuck him, that's um, why. You gotta finish up his paint job. <laughs> Alright? I'm not paying you by the hour, asshole. This is 1981. <laughs> you don't get no labor rights. No. Oh, by the way, they were talking about inflation at the beginning, too, which I thought that was funny. Yeah, well, yeah, because it kind of coincides with what's happening now. Yes. I mean, because they talk about double-digit inflation, which we're not quite there yet, but yeah, but yeah, there, so, but inflation was a huge problem in 1981, uh, just like it is now. Maybe that's why I made it like, okay, they're like, listen, painter guy, the gas prices are crazy. Are you going to have to have the fucking, uh, you got to pay the bill on this one. So <laughs> eventually John asked for like, Hey, you guys got any water? And Lisa was like, I don't got no water. The plumbing hasn't turned on, but it's weird because the basement's flooding. Right. And then she's like, okay, well, I'm going to take this guy to a hospital, to the hospital. So they, they all leave and stuff. And, um, so this is when, um, um, my, um, uh, Martin, he sees like uh, like a painting. He's like, "Oh, look at this painting." So I was like, "Okay, this is just random." He just looks at one of the paintings. They look at the painting for a little bit, and then they ask about um, Arthur, and then they ask about you know, I hope the painter guy is going to be okay. And then the phone rings, and they're like, "It's like, uh, it's like I didn't know you scored any kind of this clientele." And she's like, "Maybe it's Arthur." Okay. <laughs> Maybe. So also, okay, so is that what that is? What? Phone? Well... Like, I've watched it. I couldn't tell. So, like, okay. you know, the, the 36 pops up on it. 
yes. which may, you know, which shows that you know somebody in Loom Thirty Six is trying to contact the front desk. I yes. guess. Yes, that's. But I guess was. that's. I mean, that's just like hotel shit that we don't have anymore. Like no. that was probably old then. Like they probably didn't have shit like that in nineteen eighty one. Normally, you know. That's, yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I have no idea. I've never seen anything like that. But I was trying to figure out what the fuck that was. But I got from the context of the movie what it was supposed to be. But it was just weird. Yes. Weird and they were also talking about Joe the plumber. He's coming soon too. Yeah, so, Joe the Plumber's great. So Joe, yes, Joe shows up. All right, he parks his car and everything, goes inside, just walks himself inside, looks around, touches a bunch of stuff. I'm saying, what the fuck, <laughs> man? Just make yourself at home. Yeah, smokes inside somebody's house while asking. Yes, and he's up there. It's like, hey, anybody here? So then Joe and Liz talk uh, talk to each other. She's basically saying like, hey, it's kind of weird in here. So I got you know I got this place inherited. There's no water up upstairs. None of these faucets are working, but man, it's flooding downstairs. Yeah, that's weird. He's like, okay, well, you know, we'll take a look at it. And um, you know, we keep we keep seeing the thirty six sign too, so mm-hmm. we keep seeing that everywhere. Uh, so they go downstairs. We have the RPG music playing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this one was a lot better than the the other one. I actually like the score. This one, this one felt a lot better with the with the with the show. But boy, yeah. every time I listen to this Italian music, it's like I feel like playing like one of those like Nintendo RPG games. Uh-huh. Man, I love this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I, I like those soundtracks too. But yeah, I, I love soundtracks and I love these like synth synthesizer scores to these movies. I, I with the real slow drum beat, I just love it, dude. They're all they're all great. They're all great. So she's like, "Well, how long is this gonna take?" Joe looks around. He's like, "It will take as long as it takes." It'll- it takes a while. It'll take a while. This is basically mean, her, her basement's like, flooded. Yeah, they're like knee deep in water. Yeah. I'm like, how long do you think this is going to take? Yeah. How long has this water been here? Yeah, fucking. Like, I been. mean, I'm surprised this foundation's not rotted out at yes. this point. So this part's a little weird. So Martha shows up. She's looking creepy. And she's looking creepy at Joe. <laughs> they're both like staring at each other all weird. And she's like, hey, yes. this is Martha and everything. And it's like, okay. So she's like, I made a pathway for Joe. <laughs> And we, we don't ever see Martha before this. Look, we don't know who Martha yeah, is, she right? Shows like, up. She's just, she just shows up and Jack's all creepy toward Joe. Yes. So now Joe leaves to go do his thing. And um, this is when Liz and then um, Martha are talking. You know, Liz is saying like, hey, you know, uh, Arthur's up there. He's going to be cleaning up a bunch of rooms and stuff. I'm about to go into town. Do you think we need anything in town to, to get this uh, production up and going? So, this is when Joe, he's working in the basement. So, he finds the leak. He, he finds where the leak is coming from. Uh, and just like, it was weird because when it was leaking, it sounded like dogs were barking. Uh, yes. There's a lot of weird sounds in this movie, too. Yes. So, and then, of course, he smashes through the, the wall and stuff. And then, of course, this is when we see the cross-like structure. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, he's found the gate. So this is when she lives. She's walking through the house. Um, she's hearing like, um, <laughs> I guess the music was like some sort of like Western sound, <laughs> like music going on during this time. And she goes to her room, and Arthur's in there with the phone. And she's like, "Arthur, what are you doing in my room?" Arthur's like, "Looking for keys." And she's like, "Which keys do you need?" She's like, "I need, I, I need keys to look because some of the rooms were locked, and I want to clean them up." And she's like, well, how about I'll look for the keys, and how about 
you go to the chimney because it looks like it's been clogged up. Yeah, in other words, get the fuck out of my room. So Arthur was a little weird, like I so I guess he was like sweating the whole time. So I mm-hmm. guess like I guess he knew what was going on, I guess in a way. So I guess. So then we have uh, and then of course uh <laughs> Arthur was like, I heard a I heard a car driving up. Was that Joe? And Liz was like, Yes, it was. Okay. I'm glad we didn't do that part of the movie. So glad that's in there. Yes. So Joe, Joe is now he's like working on the wall and everything, and like he's looking at the uh, the structure of the wall and it's like pretty much melting, like it's like dirt. It's like basically it looks like slime and dirt just melting it off. And he's yeah. looking through there and everything, and eventually a hand grabs his face, and of course it goes right for his eyeball. So everybody take a drink. We have our first eyeball gouging in the movie. Yeah. And these, I, I love these Italian eye, eyeball gouges, especially the Fulci ones, because they go on forever. Yes. It's not just like they gouge somebody's eyeball out and it, 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 it turns to another scene. Like, they just really invest in these special effects, you know, the, the special effects they could afford. And, like, they, you, like, you can just see it, like, dig into his eyeball and then gouge the whole eyeball out. Yes. Because um, that's a terrifying thing, right? I mean, that's, that's, that would scare anybody, an eyeball yeah. gouging. Yeah. They, they love to mess with the eye, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So this is when Liz, she's driving on this very long road. All right. And then she's driving. In this scene, I'm pretty sure that um, the uh, the end of Rob Zombie's Halloween uh, sequel. Remember that one where he, like, at the end of it, he was, like, driving on the road. And it was Michael Myers' mother. She was there with the horse and everything. She's on that very long road. That's what this reminded me of. So I'm pretty yeah, sure Yeah, I guarantee you. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure he did, because yeah. the pr- the way she looked in that movie looks a lot like um, Emily. Uh, Emily, yes, um, in this movie. Um, but yeah, so the road she's driving on is a bridge that goes between uh, the mainland of Louisiana and parts of uh, New Orleans. Um, I've been on that bridge. It's very long and kind of scary to drive across this huge body of water on a fucking bridge. Yes, and somehow uh, they got it shut down for a day, and they did this scene. I know, like they they were able to shut it down. Well, I'm sure this they well they worked with the state of Louisiana on this, yeah, uh, which will come into the story of this movie later because they nearly ruined that house they were working on, um, but um, they were working in. But uh, yeah, I'm sure the state of Louisiana just shut down that bridge for part of a day so they could record this shoot shoot this scene. Yeah, so then she stops there in front of her. The woman is her eyes are pretty much gone. They're like mm-hmm. demon eyes, or I guess they're supposed to be like blind eyes. And I she's guess there, they're white. Yeah. She's there with her dog. And she is like, hey, you're you're Liz. I'm Emily. I've been looking for you for a while. So then we have um, Martha. She's now looking for Joe. Um, and she's looking around. And then she hears a noise. And she says, Arthur, Arthur. And so then, then we get back to Emily. And Emily and Liz are now back at like in town. They're by Emily's house. And Liz is like, how did you know how to get here? Uh, She's like, oh, I know I could just feel how to get here. And of course, I have my trusty dog, Dickie. Dickie. By my side. (laughs) So she got some dick by her side. Gotcha. Oh, I knew that was coming. (laughs) Boom, brother. Uh, so now she, uh, they go, they walk through this, uh, basically her house is like surrounded with plants and everything. It's kind of old and stuff to get to her house. 
but they go to her house-like structure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so Martha, she's still looking for Joe down in the basement. She eventually finds dead Joe, and his face is all melted off, and he's puking up some more strawberry blood. She doesn't freak about that. She's like, okay, well, this <laughs> fucking guy, he was an asshole anyway. And then she, then his body pops up, and then she freaks. Yes. All right. Emily plays creepy piano music. So, yeah, so the, this is a recurring theme, theme of this whole movie, I think. Like, there's, like, so you, you hear the creepy piano music in a lot of these scenes, and it's sometimes Emily's playing it, and sometimes the piano's playing itself, and yes. sometimes it's just playing. But in this one, Emily's playing creepy piano music on the piano. Yes. And basically, Liz is like, okay, well, why do I have to give up the hotel? And, of course, Emily's like, well, listen, I can't tell you now. But go back to where you came from. You don't want to be here. But I can't tell you now. Would, I can't tell you now. Because yeah. it would be too handy if I actually told you what the problem was. Yes. So, <laughs> At this point in the plot, I cannot tell you that your hotel yes. was for some reason built yes. on a doorway to hell. Yes. Because if I did, yes. you might actually stop something. So we need this plot to continue. Yes. Listen, I got to keep this secret for now. But I'll tell you later if shit hits the fan, okay? <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Uh, so, uh, so now we ha- we're back. <laughs> this part was pretty funny. So now we're back in like this, like a uh, uh, a morgue area, like this part of the hospital where I there's a bunch this. of dead bodies and stuff. Yeah. So the doc's up there, like Johnny's like looking through the body, and this guy, I I think his name was uh, Harrison. Yeah. The other doctor, yeah. boy, this guy looked like me. Like he looked like me if I was in like 1981. Like I think I have, I think I would have this guy's exact haircut, and I'd probably rock in a stash like him. And his haircut was very close to mine, like that strawberry blonde. So I was like, "Is that my dad? What the hell is he doing here?" <laughs> so they're going through his body and everything. And um, first, we see one dead body, which is some hairy dude. Um, and then they they get the other dead body, which is the one from the uh, the the uh, basement. And then yes. the, the guy is like saying, like, man, this body's looking good for being dead for six years. And yeah. I'm thinking at this point, okay, so we found two dead bodies in this basement of this hotel, and they have now been in a hospital um, you know, upkeep. But there was like no police. There was no investigating how these guys died. Nothing. The Liz yeah. didn't get talked to, like, hey, why do you got two <sighs> dead people in your basement? None of these people got talking to, like, hey, why did we, what happened to these dead guys? They're just, okay, well, they, we just found two dead bodies at this creepy hotel. It's okay. We'll move on. Yeah, there's no police in this entire movie. They should have had the detective from the first movie show up in this movie. Yeah. Um, playing the same character, like, and then he goes up to, to Where's the to drugs? Liz. <laughs> where's the drugs? Did he throw them down the toilet? <laughs> Don't tell me there's some creepy shit. I already went to that town, Dunwich, or whatever the hell it was called. These crazy fuckers throwing their drugs away. Now you're telling me there's some more demons out here? Come on now. Now I'm down here and there's more drugs. But, um, so isn't the hairy guy, that's Joe, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess it was Joe. Yeah, the, the hairy, hairy guy, guy is was, Joe. They're yeah. sewing up his, they're sewing up his chest. But then, like, so, so I was also confused about this. So, they specifically say, now we're watching a translated version. And I've, as I've said many times, I'm not really sure how, exactly these are translated sometimes but they say the body is six years old specifically but it's the body of the warlock right i'm not wrong about that yeah it's the body of the warlock yes who which died in 1921 so why do they specifically say the body is six years old i mean i can understand they don't know how old it is yeah but why do they specifically mention that it's six years old 
Well, maybe there's a a prequel to this movie where somebody <laughs> had the same experience happened before, and that was six years ago. So maybe they they correlated of this movie. I don't know. Also, why do they have like those things on its head? Like they're trying to like uh, measure some kind of response from it. Well, you know, just to other make sure than the that... plot needs it. <laughs> I guess so. So but we they got have a, those things on it that yeah. measures like a heartbeat or whatever, but they're on his head. And then as they walk out of the room, we see the little thing go boop, boop, like it's yes. still alive. Yes. But like, why did <laughs> it's to inform like, us? I mean, that this body, I mean, <laughs> I guess so. But like this, they say this body is in good shape for being six years old. And that may be true, but is it is not in good shape. Like it looks like goo. Yeah. Definitely got goo. <laughs> and the shape, it's like a human like structure yes. made of goo. <laughs> yes. So John leaves the hospital. He sees Liz and he's like, okay, I'm going to start flirting now. So the Harris, he's back at the hospital. He checks on the body and eventually he leaves. And this is when we get the heartbeat. All right. Yes, exactly. So now we have, I'm guessing this is Joe's wife. She brings her and her daughter to the uh, 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 autopsy room. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, I'll be a second. And this is weird because she had black hair. Joe had black hair, but the daughter had yeah. spanking red hair. So unless there's some <laughs> Which, sort of like magical gene, I'm pretty sure Harris, my boy, he might be the the father of Jill, the daughter. Maybe, maybe that's a, that's a good backstory. I like that. But yeah, yeah it definitely seems like um, they said it was a small uh, town. Yeah, true. It it, it, may, it does make it seem like uh, Joe's wife is uh, is messing around. Yes, um, on Joe, but. Um, we only assume it's Joe's wife because they don't tell us who this person is. They yeah. just show she up with a girl. Show. Yes. She goes to a room <laughs> and that she says, looks at Joe's body in the morgue. Yeah, she looks yes. at the body. She cuts the shirt and she basically gets them all dressed up. Mm-hmm. And then after she's done getting them all dressed up, you know, I like the part where Jill, Jill is the daughter. She's the red-haired one. Yeah. She, you know, she could actually just be the mortician now that I think about it. Be the one? The mortician? The person that gets him ready for a funeral, she could just be that person. Although they don't usually do that in the morgue, I don't think. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, she seemed kind of sad about it. Well, that's true. She does. So, no, yeah. no, 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 no. We'll because Jill said, "Hey, mom." So she did say, "Mom." Maybe she just goes to work with her mom to take care of dead bodies. Uh, maybe. Well, anyway, I don't know. I like, anyway. I like. No, I don't think so because she was sitting there, or maybe because she was sitting there, and then the, the cart was rolling. And then the car was really, oh, really creepy. I thought that part was just randomly there funny. That that's another like thing I was going to mention too. Like like it's it's not just creepy. Like it's annoying. Like it's just this loud screeching yeah. annoying sound. That's <laughs> as he's slowly rolling this body through this hospital. Like they can't just wire all the wheels to make this not happen. No, of like course that not. it was crazy. So after the wife dresses up the whole body, she sees something. She screams. That's when the daughter says, "Mom." All right, so I'm pretty sure that was her biological mom, and Joe was supposed okay. to be her dad. But right, there's enough. somebody was fucking around with somebody because two mm. blacks, I don't know, makes a red. Unless there's some sort of like grandpa out there that had a secret gene that snuck his way in, which is possible. Yeah, because she's very redheaded. Yes. So she goes into the room, Jill, the redheaded daughter. She goes in the room, she sees her mom just lay on the floor with like acid pouring on her face. And what does which she do? Which is does? real acid, by the way. Yes. Uh, pouring on a, uh, a mannequin face. 
So she, but her thing is like, okay, I'm gonna watch this the whole time. She's like, oh fuck, she's gone. So, and then she eventually screams, and she's like wandering herself around the um, the uh, the autopsy room. She goes into a closet, sees more dead bodies. Boom, ended it. Um. So <laughs> there's one part too. So after like the the mom gets her fels or fels her face melted off, we see like mm-hmm. this this strawberry milkshake blood like trying to like catch capture her like it's like spreading across the floor. Yeah, that was super gross. I thought it looked like uh, Jello. You know, when you make Jello before you before you put it in the refrigerator. Yes, that's kind of what it looks like. Where it's foamy on top and and it's got that pink kind of foam and then like the red liquid underneath. It was that was disgusting. Yes. Um, so after the, uh, uh, Jill opens up the door, she sees the dead. We cut back. Now we have John and Liz. They are talking about why Liz moved over here. <clears throat> if I may. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, what brought you, what brought you over here from the big apple? Well, let me tell you all about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I did everything in, in, in New York. I was a model. I was a secretary. Pretty much every like girl job she did, right. magazine writer, shit like that. And she's like, you know, what happened was I got an inheritance. I know I had a rich uncle and he died and I randomly just got this place. And I was like, okay, randomly. well, I'm just going to pack up and see what I could do. This is my last chance. I was like, okay, well, you just said you had a modeling job. You just said you had <laughs> that. Did you just fail at everything? <laughs> I, I was wondering the same thing because she kind of implies that she's like, you know, like, Cause she basically says like, um, she's going to be on like welfare if this fails or something, Yeah. but yeah, she's I mean, gonna go she could always yeah. just, she, yeah, she could always just sell the hotel, you know, yeah. and st- <laughs> but like she was a model and like, she had all these amazing New York city jobs, but apparently this is her last chance. Yeah. So I guess she did. I guess she failed out of everything and she fails this too, actually. Yeah. Pre- yes. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess so. Yes. So she and then you know she's asking she's like okay I'm not sure when I'm going to get this hotel ready you know what I mean like you know I have uh Martha I have Arthur and Martha and they're not really that good at like getting stuff put up and stuff and he's you like okay say. you know like if you hired them can't you fire them she's like well no I can't really fire them they got they like came with the hotel <laughs> Okay, stop for a second. How does this happen? Did she inherit those people too? Yes. Like she got there. Happen? She got there at the hotel. She walks in the first day, and Martha and Arthur come like, like, hey, uh, you know, since you got inherited this hotel, we actually like come with the hotel, so you have to keep us. That's like that's like going to like an abandoned like fucking like uh 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 the construction site. You know what I mean? Like some abandoned house. You have a bunch of homeless people. Hey guys, I bought this house. Like, I guess you're staying here because I bought it up with you in there. And they can you come with the house? So they came with the house, right. and of course, John was like, oh, "I don't remember their names at all, and I know everybody around here." <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Fucking dick. Anyway, <laughs> he's like strange. So then, while this is happening, Doc gets a phone call. He says. What's going on at the, at the hospital? And then, of course, Liz looks on, and everybody's all worried. So we have um, uh, uh, Jill. You know, she's at the funeral. You know, I guess she has to bury her dad and her mom. So, of course, she's super sad. And, of course, 
this part's a little weird. So they're like, okay, all the family members there and people that liked her and stuff. And all they do is they kiss her and they, they pass her on. Kiss her, pass her on, yeah. kiss her, pass her on until everybody leaves. Eventually Liz kisses her and passes her on. I guess we're well, just going to leave her there. Does anybody like take her there? Or is she going to go to like an orphanage or something? Like, are we just going to leave here at the gravesite? It's like, oh, good luck, kid. Like, what's going yeah, on? They don't really explain that. They, she's just kind of on her own yes. now, I guess. Um, but on a side note, though, have you ever been to New Orleans? No, I never been. Yourself? I wanted to go, yeah, so but I've never been. Yeah, it's really it's 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 a really cool place. I've been a few times, but this is a really typical New Orleans cemetery with the above ground uh, crypts. Yes, um, yes, I know they can't that bury scene. people. Yeah, they can't bury people in the ground because it's below sea level, and actually. Sometimes, like when it floods, like human bones will actually wash out. You can find human bones sometimes in the cemeteries. Um, but yeah, this is, I always thought these cemeteries looked so cool. Like they're just like really, really, really cool tombs and everything in these cemeteries. And I'm sure Fulci loved them too, which is why I put one in the movie. But yeah, yeah they're, they're gorgeous. So now the Jill, now she has the evil uh, blind eyes. Now, so we're back in the basement, the famous basement. Liz mm-hmm. arrives. Still flooding. Yes. And um, so she's like, so Liz arrives and then she eventually she, she hears and she sees Emily. And Emily's like, well, why did you listen to me? Why didn't you leave? Well, fuck, you didn't, you just told me to leave. You, you didn't, didn't give me a you, backstory. You, you, didn't, you didn't tell me why. <laughs> and then now she's like, <laughs> And now Emma's like, going to tell you why. <laughs> no, 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 no. Now she's like, Emma's like, okay, so you didn't listen to me. Now I'm going to tell you why this is all happening now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> now that a bunch of dead bodies in the gate is open, now I will explain to you why you should have left in the first place. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will tell you everything now. Uh, uh, so, um, so you know they're in the uh, uh, okay. Let's see. So she, so Emily's basically saying, okay, now you're, you're gonna listen to me. I'm gonna tell you the whole story. You know, the blind they see more things. All right, so I will tell you everything that's going on. So now we see like a first person creature view going on over here. Mm-hmm. It's like walking through the house, and eventually it's gonna go into room 36, the famous room 36. Um. So she goes over like you know. Uh, back in 19, you know, 27, like, you know, six, a thousand years ago from now or whatever, you know, a couple years back from now, uh, there was like this painter named Smythe Mm. and he found a key and this key was to a house. Um, and he found a key to this room and basically this key was to a house that like, that had the, the, it was buried on one of the sites of the gates to hell. Alright? And Smythe was trying to uh, uh, tame it. But he couldn't. And then why mm. she's like kind of going over the story. And then the girl's like, hey, what, what's that over there? Well, that's an old painting. That's the painting. So basically this painting they keep talking about is the painting that Smythe was painting. And it's basically... In 1921. Yeah, 19, yeah, yeah 1927. And it was like that. And it looks like a desert with a bunch of bodies in it. Yeah. All right. And she's like, what is that over there? And then she's like, hey, somebody has entered this room right now. And Liz's like, there's nobody in this room. It's like, yes, yeah, somebody has entered this room right now. And I can feel its presence. Mm. Uh, it's let's creepy. See. So somebody's here. See, so it's like, he's in this room right now. 
He's been following me. He can't be back into the hotel. Uh, and then she's like, you know, then she hears a ringing stuff and she freaks out. And she's like, what is that? It's like, oh, that's for the room 36. She was like, that was Smythe's room. Um, he's like, don't go in there. They'll never go in there. She's, and then, of course, um, Liz is like, listen, I'm from New York. I don't believe in all these ghost tales. I was like, well, fuck, what, what, what does that have to do? You're from New York. Wait, what, you see murder? I guess you see murder on the street. You don't have to worry about fucking ghost tales. Is that what you mean? Like, so then um, Emily's hands start bleeding and stuff, and she freaks out, and she, like, vanishes. And, of course, and then, like, this is a weird scene where, like, Emily, uh, Liz tries to find her and stuff. She closes her eyes a bunch of times, and she can see Emily slowly walking away from the house. Mm-hmm. So Emily didn't give like the whole story of what was going on, but she gave hints that there was a guy named Smythe. Yeah. He was uh, trying to open up this key to hell. He was trying to tame it and shit, and shit didn't go his way, basically. Mm-hmm. So this is and never ne- going to room thirty six. Yes, and don't go into room thirty six. So it's the next morning. Liz goes into room thirty six. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she breaks <laughs> it. In. She breaks it in with an axe. We get some RPG music playing. Room's all dusty and stuff. She finds the Ebon book of doom. Uh, Doors open slowly. She goes to the restroom. She sees dead Smythe on the wall. She freaks out, runs around the house, and she runs right into John's hands. Mm -hmm. And, of course, she tells John about, you know, this dead guy in this room and everything. John goes up there, investigates it, doesn't see anything, looks looks at her like she's crazy. And of course, Liz like, oh, maybe I might be going crazy. So we're kind of seeing like this might all be in Liz's head. That's what they're kind of to trying to assume. Um, and then she she does talk about like, well, look at those nails on the wall. She's like, well, th- these nails are old. They're rusty, but there's no blood on mm. these nails. Um, and then she she goes on saying like, you know, uh. You know, Liz is like, you know, she's she's like, she's like, okay, I probably just got kind of freaked out because of what Emily, you know, told me about this house and, and stuff like that. Um, let's see. And of course, John was like, well, who's Emily? He's like, you know, you don't know Emily, the blind girl from the house down over there? He's like, I know everybody in this town. <laughs> And I don't know her. Well, <laughs> motherfucker, you didn't know Arthur and him either. So fuck. I guess you don't know everybody. Do you do? <laughs> I guess you don't know everybody. You think you do? Yes. But I don't know. Maybe that's the point. He's like, I know these people exist because like these people. I know everybody in this town, and there's no. He then he say there's no blind no blind girl lives in this town or something like that. Yeah, or lives over there at that property. Right. Because he knows everybody. He knows everyone in town. And then of course the book of Ebon e- is out gone. It's missing. Disappeared. So now we're back with Emily and uh, Dickie, the dog mm-hmm. Dickie. There's piano music randomly playing by itself. Um, Liz now is now talking to Martin about the decorations for the house. So I guess Liz right now just thinks everything is just in her head. She's just freaking out because of that Emily story. So now she's trying to put it behind her. She's talking to Martin, and Martin wants to decorate all these rooms very fancy. And Emily says, okay, we could do that, but you can't spend any money. (laughs) 
because he wants everything done. I failed at everything, and I don't have any money. Yes, I don't. I failed. I got this house inherited. I'm gonna bring it up, but we're gonna bring it up with no money. Gotcha. Good job. That's why you're gonna fail at this one too. That's why you fail at this one too. Exactly. So now what she's doing now? She sees the book of Ebon in a store. Yeah. And she goes to the store. We have a book guy laughing the whole time. She goes and she sees a different book. She reads it and she's like, "Hey, uh, what's going on with this book?" She's like, "Oh, that book's been here for two years. Nobody's picked it up." <laughs> I know something that you don't know. <laughs> I'm a plot I'm guy. That tell you what it is. <laughs> yes, I'm laughing because I it's he, it's either he's reading a funny story or he knows what's going on. But we never get our payoff with him, the book, the book guy. And then John comes in saying, "Hey, what's going on?" She's like, "Oh, nothing. I just been, been seeing things lately, and let's just get out of here." And of course, the book guy keeps laughing. So, so now Martha, she is back in the basement. So Martha is back in the basement. Martin, he goes to the library because he wants to get the 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 layout of the hotel. The hotel is so old. That the history of the hotel and the layout is archived in the town library. Yeah. All right. So also, he, uh, also the librarian in this movie is Fulci. Oh, that was him. Yeah, he's also in. Oh. Uh, I, meant, I forgot to mention that in the last week, but he's also in *City of the Living Dead*. He plays the doctor who says um, she must have uh, been scared to death or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Nice. That's also Fulci. So he's in both of these movies. So this is when he's getting the book. They start talking back and forth um, about how old the book is and stuff. And um, they they, uh, um, they they basically said that the book is titled M1312 Seven Doors Hotel. So it's called the Seven Doors of Hotel, obviously, because of the Seven Gates of Helm. Yeah. Um, so after they, they talk a little bit, the guy's like, okay, Fulci's librarian guy. You know, he's like, okay, I'm going to leave because, you know, have you heard about the new labor hours and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm taking advantage of that shit. He's like, okay, hey, I'm going to lock the door behind you. So if anything happens, if you die, you'll be, nobody will help you, okay? You're going to be on your own. And Martin's like, okay, sounds great. So Martin, Martin just fucking opens the book, looks at it, says, what the hell? Lightning strikes, he falls down, then a bunch of spiders eat his face. Yes, yeah, so this is a pretty amazing scene, though, yes. with the with the real spiders and the fake spiders. Sometimes in the same scenes, you can tell which ones are fake. Yes. Um, like, the fake ones just barely rot back and forth, and then obviously real spiders walk like real spiders. But Yeah. Um, yeah. They rip this off was a great lip. scene. Yeah, this was a great yes. scene. They rip off his lips, they tongue, and, of course, we get eye rip-off number two. Yeah, and it goes on forever. Like, yes. they just, like, eat his face, like, what seems like forever. And then the house plans, they shrink, and they eventually disappear from the book. Creepy. Mm. So maybe the... Maybe, maybe I, do you think some of the townsfolk were in on it? Like they know the house is all cursed and shit like that? Uh, I was kind of wondering the same thing. Like a lot of the people in the, in, the, in the story, other than the guy who knows everything, who knows everybody in town. Yes. Um, everybody else this. seems... Well, he didn't know this, <laughs> but apparently he did not know this, but... The one that knew everybody, other than him, like everybody else kind of seems to know what's going on in this house. Yeah. Like the fucking library guy was laughing the whole time because he knew. Yeah. I, unless he was reading a funny story, he he basically was laughing because he knows 
hey, we got another one. That's what it seemed like. <laughs> we got another one. Yeah. And the library guy is going like, okay, well, I know you're going to die here in a little bit, so I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to lock this door. <laughs> That's basically what it seemed like. <laughs> so after all this happens, um, this is now when we get John, the doctor, Dr. John, goes to the Emily house. He breaks in. He goes through the whole house. He sees a bunch of... The, the whole house is all messed up. Everything's all mangled and everything. Um, he, he gets some hedge clippers and opens up the door. House is all messed up. And he eventually goes inside and he finds the book of Ebon. Mm-hmm. He starts reading the book. With the RPG music playing, by the way. Yes. Yes. And then he starts... You know, it's the seven gateways to hell. Seven cursed places. So that's our, that's our main thing. So he has seven cursed places, seven gates to hell. So now Martha, she goes to room 36. She starts to clean, goes to clean out the bathtub. There's some like nasty water so with hair and shit it's and like that. That's fucking <laughs> gross as hell. She does it, and then there's a body there. And the body rises yeah. up, which I think this body was Joe. You think so? I think it was. Wasn't this Joe or no? Uh, well, it does kind of look like Joe. Yeah, I guess it yeah. does kind of look like Joe's body. And eventually, this body puts her up to a corner, and he fucking grabs her face. And this is the same bathtub that you know has those nails that Smythe was killed on. Yeah. And this dead demon body grabs her face, smashes her head for head back of her head into the nail. And this is when we get our last eye poke out gouging, number three. Feeling good? Yeah, everybody drink up. Everybody drink it up, brother. We should have we should have got some drinks over here for this. <laughs> We're recording kind of early in the morning, but boy, I would like to do like a little drink contest for some of these eye eye gouging <laughs> shit. Gouging scene, be fucked yeah. up. So now um Emily, she goes she's she's back in the hotel now. Not Emily. Liz is back at the hotel now and it's all windy everywhere. Alright. John is um So now we have uh, John. He's back in the obituary place, and he's looking at that dead body, Smythe, and he has the book in his hand and stuff. And then he looks on the on the wrist of Smythe, and he sees the cross-like structure mm-hmm. on the on the uh, on the wrist. And of course, we hear the uh, the gates will open, the dead will walk the earth. So Emily is with her dog, Dickie. She says, good Dickie. <laughs> good Dickie? Why did they give the dog such a goofy-ass name? That's a, I, I don't know. Maybe that's like a, a name you named dogs back in the day. Maybe. I mean, like, considering, like, some of the scenes that are going to happen with Dickie later on or in a few minutes, like, I don't know. Like, it would just have been nice to give the dog less of a goofy name. But anyway, here we are. So Amy's there. She's, you know, she's hanging out. Piano plays. She's like, oh, fuck. She's like, answer me. I know you're there. And of course, we keep seeing the demon. And like, so Emily, she just goes on and on. She's like, I know you're there. I know you're there. See me and stuff. And she's like, where are you? And, you know, where are you? Because, you know, she can't see, but she can feel the demon's presence around. And of course, it's Smythe. She's like, I know it's you, Smythe. I know you're there. Okay. okay. He's like, no, Smythe, go away. I don't want to go. I don't want to go back. Now and all the demons are showing up. Now she's like, it's like, get away from me! I did what you asked. I was like, you did what the fuck? 
He's like, I did what you asked. Don't, you know, don't take me back. Don't take me back, you know. And then she's like, Dickie, attack Dickie. Attack Dickie. Attack Dickie. <laughs> and of course, like, the Dickie attacks, like, the Smythe character. You know, we have all the other yeah. demons there, too. But he attacks, like, the Smythe demon. He gets yeah. the upper hand and attacks him and stuff. Dog comes back to Emily. She's like, oh, good Dickie. You did it. Good you did Dickie. it, Dickie. And, of course, Dickie has some blood on him. And he fucking just bites the shit out of her neck. Yeah. Spice the shit out of her neck but and ear. Didn't go for the and eyeball. And her ear. Exactly. Like, he doesn't... Uh, it's not enough that he just bites her neck and kills her. Yes. But he also bites off her ear. Yes. So, that takes care of our Emily character. And it's weird because she was all like, oh, I did what you asked. So, like, what did she do? She Did she... But what did she do? Like, all she did was try to warn Liz to go away. Is that what Smythe asked? Mm, so I, I don't know. I, I don't, this doesn't make any sense, but she did kind of, uh, she, I mean, it's a typical Italian movie. Like things happen because reasons, like it doesn't, like it doesn't have to be like the most coherent plot, um, ever, but it, uh, but, I mean, but she did really warn Liz in a way that would almost make her do these things. I guess. Like, you know, she would say, whatever you do, don't go into room 36, but I'm not going to tell you why. That's true. And you need to get out of here, but I'm not going to tell you why, which is almost guarantees that she's going to do these things. Yes. So you're doing uh, some of that reverse psychology. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So this is when we have the phone rings now. So the, the, the doc is calling the hotel from his paid phone with smoke around it. Yes. Or the fog. We got to have some fog, fog. in here. Fog, yeah. So we're in the basement. Liz asks for Arthur, and she eventually gets attacked by Arthur. Now, I don't know if I missed something, but, like, did we see Arthur die or anything like that? Or he just, just disappeared and just showed up as a demon? Yeah, I didn't see Arthur die, um, unless he dies in the basement at some point. I don't remember that, but maybe, I, 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 maybe it's just something that just didn't make the final cut of the movie. I guess. Arthur's, Arthur's eye-gouging scene. Yes. So... She gets attacked. Liz gets away. Um, and then she she runs, of course, back into John's hands again by freaking out. Um, <clears throat> and then she's, like, freaking out and everything. And, of course, like, now John's like, listen. You know, I know you're freaking out and everything, but I'm sick of all these stories. She's like, what do you mean? He's like, I found it. I found that book that you left in Emily's room. There was nobody there. She's <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about? It's like, you know, this is kind of weird. Like, you know, you had Joe in here. Dying, you had this Emily character now, now that's Arthur stuff. Like, you know, these stories are just like not making sense. And I'm a doctor and I need to make sense of all this stuff. Okay. I'm a professional. He's like, go show me where Arthur's at. And of course, and she also asked, like, so from the book you, you left, what, what did it say? And she's like, well, let's see. Where did Arthur, where's, show me where Arthur's at. They show Arthur. He's like, he's like, he was there. He attacked me from there. I don't know where he went. And then, uh, and then, of course, like, she's like, this is crazy. And then John's like, who are you really? <laughs> Sorry. And she's like, what? Who she's like, you? yes, who are you really? I read this book. And did you know that this hotel was one of the gates of hell? And, and she's like, of course she doesn't know that. She's like, oh, what? What's going on here? <laughs> and, of course, and then right when he says, like, this is one of the seven gates of hell, lightning shows up and wind goes everywhere. And then blood drips on them. And of course they run and they fucking storm off over there. And you hear this thing in the 
background, this voice that's just there for some reason saying, you may face the sea of darkness and um, you may feed the sea of darkness and all its wonders and you might explore it. And they drive off. We see a bunch of bodies walking around the house and stuff. Um, and then they're driving to the town. All right, and they're saying like, oh, this is weird. There's like no souls out here. There's no people walking around. And of course, John's like, listen, I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to talk to my boy, Harrison. And me and him are going to talk. And he, we're going to talk about what's going on here and have a rational explanation for everything. So that's John's plan is to go to the hospital and talk to Harris. So they get there. They notice nobody's at the hospital. They go to the lab. They're like, hey, let's go around to the lab. Um... <clears throat> so he says that you know there has to be a rational explanation for everything like this he grabs a gun so he has his gun in his hand um so this is like they're in his like office okay mm-hmm. he grabs the gun tells him he's gonna find harrison he's gonna talk to him and they're gonna all figure this out and have a rational explanation for everything we got that so liz is now in the office and her hand starts bleeding and she's like, what's going on here? She's walking slowly, slowly, slowly. And then, bam! Glass shatters. Fucking demons fucking grab her and shit and stuff. And I thought this scene was probably like the, probably like the coolest scene. Because it, it definitely <laughs> so had... Much, the, yes. This one had like... We basically are in the hospital now. And there was like dead demon zombies everywhere. And they bust through this window. And they fucking grab her. And I was like, that actually kind of shocked me a little bit too. So I was like, okay, this scene is pretty cool. So that was probably like one of my favorite like visual scenes in the movie. Yeah. So John now starts to shoot these fucking (laughs) zombies. So hold on. Let's stop for a second. So this is the worst example of gun safety I've ever seen in my entire life. I understand we're in an emergency situation. But, like, he's standing probably, what, I don't know, six or seven feet from her. And he's, like, shooting directly at her fucking face. Yes. Like trying to shoot the zombies behind her. He give a fuck. It's like I mean, he could have just as easily shot her in the fucking head as he would have hit hit any of the zombies. Well, he was like, "Fuck, I don't know who this bitch is anymore." So it's like, <laughs> I, I, she's like, "Fuck, maybe she's in on it." <laughs> maybe she's in on it. Yeah. So well, he's just like, of course, this 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 leads into an amazing scene where he's just like walking down the hallway, like blowing the brains out of all these fucking zombies. Well, so this is a weird weird scene. So yes, he's they they're now escaping out of that room and he keeps shooting the zombies but it's weird though he shoots them in the belly the arm and stuff and he finally gets in the <laughs> head and they go down right. so you would think after like maybe the second one where he sees like okay if i shoot him in the leg i shoot him in the arm they're not really they keep moving but if i shoot him in the head they go down what i'm gonna yeah. keep doing i'm gonna shoot him in the belly shooting the belly again yeah yeah okay but, that didn't but, then ag- but then again i mean whether they're zombies or not and you know how to stop them like I mean, shooting something in the head usually stops it. So that would, that's probably a better move anyway. Um, but the, um, uh, do you think this scene was, do you think the scene in this movie influenced Resident Evil? Cause this looks like a scene for Resident Evil movie. Yeah, I can see even, that. Resident Evil video game. Like whether, like, you know, in those games where you're just like running down like hallways and you just, yeah. and the zombies just coming out of nowhere and you just have to shoot one and keep going. Yeah. That's, it's, that's what this looked like. I bet, the, I bet whoever worked on Resident Evil saw this movie yeah i'm yeah i mean definitely i mean it definitely has a lot of like zombie um tropes you know this movie was made in the 80s so definitely like you know it definitely probably 
whoever saw this movie definitely, and um, you could definitely tell that that it got uh, uh, some praise and mm-hmm. uh, for like uh, helping out, like the the way the zombies are they do. And these were the very slow right. zombies too. Just like the Resident Evil ones were kind of slow. Right, exactly. So <clears throat> there's a couple of things. So so John tells um, Liz to get on the elevator. She does. And then the elevator just goes up. But John's left to himself. Okay. So he keeps shooting zombies in the arm, the leg. And he finally gets someone in the head. But he runs out of bullets. So he has to go into the closet. Okay. There's going to be a weird. Which happens to have bullets in it. <laughs> Yes. Well, hold on. So, <laughs> okay. Right. I didn't really see him reload the gun. <laughs> so, he gets inside this closet. He's about to get attacked, and it's Harrison. Harrison has like a, a, a knife. Yeah. And he's like, hey, what the hell is Harrison's going on? And Harrison's like, I don't know what's going on. I think I'm going crazy. I was like, I thought these guys were just going to have some discussion, but they just freak out with each other. Okay. <laughs> and then eventually, <laughs> yes. the zombies break through, and Harrison's like, okay, they break through. Okay. So, magically. Between the time where John got in to the hospital room and talked to Harrison, he somehow reloaded his gun. Yeah. Even though we didn't see any of that, because what we saw no. for a second was um, Liz going into the uh, uh, autopsy room. She and her finding Jill there. Okay. Yeah, he just kind of has bullets again. It's like a, it's like a 1950s. There's West. no reloading. There's like a split <laughs> second. He just goes back in there and bam, he just has magic bullets now. So he just yeah. has all kinds of bullets. He's just shooting these zombies. He's all like, we got to do something. It's like, okay, I'm going to shoot this window. So he shoots like a mm-hmm. door with the glass. And then Harrison moves and all the door glass goes onto his face <laughs> and he dies. And then you know what happens? John just goes out of the room, not even caring. Like, okay, I killed my friend Harrison. The guy's dead. I killed him. He's just like, fuck it. I'm out of here. Doesn't cry. Doesn't even say anything. He doesn't even say anything. He's like, oh, fuck it. My bad. I mean, this scene shouldn't be funny. <laughs> But it is like like he shoots the, he, he shoots the door or the window or whatever, and it not it doesn't make a hole in it. And it fucking explodes with wind on it. Some of there's wind there. Yeah. Uh, it fucking explodes, and then the glass shoots back toward them, and it impales like it sticks in Harrison's. And like face. I like how Harrison's like, oh shit, I'm not in the right spot. Let me get to where I'm supposed to die. <laughs> Oh, what a what a character! Like, did he do anything in this fucking movie? Uh, so anyway, so John gets away, starts shooting at more, and he doesn't go for the head. Like he's like, okay, well the headshot seems Still to work. Yeah. The headshot seems to work. I have magic bullets now that I don't have to reload my gun anymore. What am I do? I'm gonna shoot him in the arm. Yeah, I'm gonna get him in the arm. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he's now used the uh, the contra cheat code so that he has unlimited uh, yes. unlimited ammunition. Yes. Yes, he has a limited... That's, that's what he did off screen, was he used the Contra cheat code so that he could yes. have unlimited ammunition, and now it doesn't matter where he shoots them. He has plenty, yes. plenty yes, of bullets. Yes, he got the codes from the game, Genie, and he has now have unlimited <laughs> ammo for his zombie hunting. Um, so... <laughs> uh, so now, you know, Liz... And then finally, John and Liz and all stuff. So John gets to the elevator, and he, and he goes into the elevator, he finds Elizabeth and Gil, and Elizabeth's like, Hey, John... This is Gil. Remember her? She's with me now. Okay. <laughs> so they all go down like, downstairs, and of course, you know, John he he still shoots the uh, <laughs> he still shoots the, uh, the the people in the arms, but he finally gets some of them in the head. All right. Yeah. With his magic bullets. Mm-hmm. So they go downstairs. Um, they they gotta figure out a place where to go. Um, 
He keeps shooting more. Like every time they go to the rooms, there's like more patient zombies that show up, and he keeps shooting them in the body parts too. So he hasn't learned his lesson mm. with the head yet, or maybe he just no. sucks at shooting. So they go back into the um, obituary room, all right, where they where Jill and all of them were before, and of course a dead body is now waking up. Dead body grabs Liz. John shoots him perfectly in the head. <laughs> yes. So he only shoots he some zombies out. perfectly in the head. Gotcha. Right, he figured it out. Like, he, like that was that was a perfect shot. Like, just right in it, right. Yes. In so now they're getting away, and um. So during all this stuff too, you know the um, the Smythe zombie is also there as well. Okay. And John, he cannot kill the Smythe zombie. Okay. So you know, you, you know how John can kill like other zombies in the head perfectly fine. Smythe, right, no, yeah. can't do it. Right. Well, that's because he's the boss of the video. That, that is true. So. It's a little harder to see. My this is yeah. another favorite scene I have. So this is how we pay off Jill. <laughs> so Jill randomly, and by the way, like okay, so this guy probably had maybe four or five rounds in his gun. Well, how much do you think rounds he had in his gun? Six? Six. Okay, he, yeah, it holds six. It holds six bullets. We're about twenty-five right now. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this is how we pay off Jill. So Jill has the blind eyes, and then she randomly grabs Liz really quick and is about to kill her. And then John just shoots her right in the head, dead gone. Perfect <laughs> perfect shot. One shot one shot takes. We can't yep. we can't hurt Smythe at all. We have to shoot him in the body, but Jill, for a second, we could just kill her quick. So yep, we got to take right away of her. So they get away and now they escape, but now they're back in the basement. Yeah. So, right. So, so this whole scene, they're in the hospital, right? Or the yes. morgue or where the yes. fuck they are. And then they go down these steps and then they're in the flooded basement again of the house. And then John says that that's, this is impossible. Yes. This right. is impossible. So, and, and it is impossible because they don't explain how this happens. Yes. It just happens. It just happens. So they're they go through the basement frog. Okay. They see the the the, the painting with the mm-hmm. desert and all the bodies. Yeah. All right. We get some uh, we get some Zelda music playing, <laughs> like Legends of Zelda. They sound like Legends of Zelda music it, playing. It does kind of, yeah. So they look worried and everything, and they eventually end up in the painting. Mm-hmm. So somehow right. we've gone from hospital basement to painting. Okay. Well, I so I took that as they just walked into the at the beyond, if you will. Yes. So they're not in the painting, but like they're they're like they're like in the world that the painting is de- is depicting. Yes, they're in the beyond world now. Yeah. Which uh, is basically desert with a couple bodies around it. Yeah. So look, word everything's word everything. They run one way, they run the other way, and eventually they get their eyes turn into that blind eye white thing yep and then of course we get you will face the sea of darkness and all that will be explored and that's it and, and that's it that's it so our girl liz and john are forever now in the beyond stuck and they will come out every so often to bring somebody in to the beyond maybe who knows maybe who knows because they don't tell us, but, um, but yeah. So one thing, um, so this movie also just kind of has uh, an ending, yes. <laughs> like it just kind of stops. <laughs> like it doesn't really explain anything. It just kind of stops going. Um, 
like possibly there's a real missing we don't know but um there's like um it just kind of stops uh no happy ending I don't, I don't know if you noticed that in the last movie no happy ending this movie no happy ending yes um there's not not happy endings a lot of times in italian films like there are in american movies hellraiser i mean a movie even like hellraiser you know had your final girl type situation and you know it was uh there was kind of a sort of a happy-ish ending to that to those movies uh no happy ending for the Fulci films so far yes so we're 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 oh for oh for two on the happy yeah. ending side but mm-hmm. you know this is supposed to show though like the uh i kind of like it how they don't have the happy endings though because it's supposed to show like okay well you know we open up the gates of hell you know like it can't be stopped even though we, we say it can't be stopped and it can't be stopped because we're showing it, it can't right. be stopped because you got fucked exactly at the end. so exactly so at, least, at least at least they're keeping that going on so uh but yeah i mean this movie is really fun like I would say this movie um, had a lot more thought put into it when it comes to the actual storyline. Well, it's funny that you would say that because there's a story that I've also heard about this film like I've heard about the last one. So supposedly, um, the guy I think it was uh, Dardano Trichetti that wrote this, but when he wrote the concept for this and presented it to Fulci, he's like, well, it's a hotel with hell underneath. And Fulci's like, what does that mean? Like, he didn't even understand it. He didn't even understand the concept. And then, then he was like, he when he presented it to to Fulci again, he was like, well, it's it's like the beyond. And then Fulci's like, oh, that he latched onto that beyond idea. And supposedly they had a script, but they didn't use it. And Fulci had a had a three pages of notes, and they made this entire movie on three pages of notes, which might explain why some of the stuff is kind of weird in it. Like, yeah. it doesn't make a lot of sense. But they apparently had no real script. They had three pages of notes. And also, Fulci really didn't speak English in his lifetime. And most of the actors only spoke English. So he would, like, mimic things that he wanted them to do. And that's how he directed the entire movie. So there was no real – there was a language barrier and no real script, which um, I think this movie is amazing if all all, all that is true. Because this movie is beautiful. It looks good. It's, it, it's, it's scary. It's gross. It's it. I think this movie's perfect. I mean, it it is it is fantastic. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that too. Like, it definitely had a really good, um, you know, visual um, parts to it. Um, Storyline was to me was a lot more put together than the uh, than the city city one was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very good concepts when it comes to Beyond and how they portrayed that as well too. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely very well put together. Um, I definitely say this is definitely a one to, to check out and uh, keep on your bucket list over yeah, here, you everybody. Watch this. But yeah, that's been the uh, the Beyond Everybody here on the Retro Blood Continuing Hellfire Month here mm-hmm. on the Retro Blood, and we will end Hellfire Month with our next review. Join us here next Sunday as we do House by the Cemetery. I wonder if the wonder if it has a gate of hell underneath it. Hmm. I wonder if it does have that on in there. You know, this is the third Italian trilogy <laughs> of evil demon despair hellfire movies. So yes. we'll see how we're gonna end it out for the Hellfire month here on the Retro Blood. But do you have any more words for the audience before we head on out of here? How as we head no, out I'll, to the beyond, Allison? Uh, no, before we head out to the beyond, I was just going to say that this is a fantastic movie for real, and, and you should watch it. You, you really should. This movie's great. It's fantastic. Check it out, everybody. And like I said, we're going to end it with Journey 
over here on the Retro Blood. Probably one of the only times you'll hear Journey here on the Retro Blood. Mm -hmm. But we'll do that separate ways, worlds apart separate song. Separate ways. Because yeah. when you enter the beyond, everybody, you don't know what's going to happen. You're going to go this way, you're going to go yeah. that way. But you might go your separate ways. We'll go separate ways. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it. See you later, everybody, here on the Retro Blood. Later, later. See ya. you